This is Monocle on Design, a show where we unpack everything from architecture and craft to furniture and fashion. I'm Nick Manise. On today's show, we're reflecting on the recent design weeks that have swept the French capital, with highlights from Maison and Objet and Paris Fashion Week. All that coming up on Monocle on Design. Welcome to today's show and welcome to a regular guest in the studio, Monocle's fashion editor, Natalie Theodosi, uh, sitting across from me. How, how are you doing? I'm very good. I'm sure you you ask me the same thing in the I know, morning, it's, it's, but it's, it's the, good to have a proper welcome and an introduction here. We're doing another joint handle show. I think people have become familiar with the concept. We're, we're desk buddies. There's also overlap with fashion and design. Uh, we also overlapped in terms of both being in Paris at the same time. Did you have any highlights uh, from our week in Paris? Many. I mean, dinner with you and all our colleagues was probably the biggest highlight. I saw a lot of great shows as well, from Dior to Louis Vuitton. I've I've discovered some smaller brands as well. So it was a real full week of, of, of big shows, of discovering new talent and walking around Paris, which was freezing cold, but really beautiful and I felt like that was this was the the year that the brands really went all out and and much more creative they stopped playing it safe because that was a pattern that I was seeing a lot um, after the pandemic it's almost like until the very end of last year early this year things have felt a little bit cagey people haven't been traveling from the US or, or from from Asian particularly Asian necessarily are you seeing that sort of rebalance happen in, in the world of fashion absolutely yeah and I mean I think it's it was normal for people to be a bit wary as they were coming back into the world and a lot of people were still not traveling. But this January, it was back to 2019, maybe an even bigger appetite to go all out. There were visitors from the US, from all across Asia. China is is open again. So those buyers and editors and, and influencers were on the streets and attending the shows again. And yeah, I think now brands are also feeling much more confident to invest. There's a huge appetite for luxury, even if we're going through uncertain financial, political times. Luxury is stronger than ever, so designers are really going for it. The shows were real spectacles. There were a lot of different elements to them, from performances to interesting collaborations with designers on the sets that we were seeing, and big collections, lots of romance and drama and and great, great clothing. But it was interesting that Paris Fashion Week was happening at the same time as Maison et Objet. I think fashion has been trying to get into the world of design much more. And there has been sometimes a little bit of snobbery, sometimes more of an appetite for collaboration. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about what was going on in your side of town at Maison et Objet. And if you see that those two worlds are merging more and more. That's probably the perfect segue uh, in in terms of like this event taking place at the same time. So you've got Maison Objet, which is, the, you know, the actual fair uh, experience where you're going out to a trade hall on the edge of the city, looking at textiles, chairs, tables, lamps from some from suppliers uh, and, and designers and makers from across Europe and, and the rest of the world. You know, there's certainly a strong French influence there, but there, there is a, a global appeal. But then you've also got 
events taking place in the city. They've got Maison Objet in the city, uh, which is where showrooms open up with exhibitions and displays. Again, to come back to that thing of the worlds of fashion and furniture, I guess, meeting up, not only physically in Paris at the same time, but uh, there are certainly some brands that are already kind of walking that line. You can look to textile brand Sacco, which is owned by Denmark's Quadrat, which uh, are both sort of textile brands. And I dropped into a gallery space which had been taken over by Sacco to have a chat to their creative director, Bent Thornfors. I think Sacco should be a lot about the flowers, it should be decorative. But how do we bring that further? How do we place that in a context that feels like contemporary? I think that's a bit how you dress. It's almost like to seek for balance. If I, I do wear like worn out black t-shirts combined with um, tailored suit pants, maybe the shoe is a bit more shiny. Is that about textures, matte, shiny or faded? I think that's something you can see in the textile collection with Sacco as well. We have this article Sufrado, an upholstery fabric, which has this tumble treated surface. We have uh, another article which looks like uh, almost like a bomber jacket fabric. And the pattern is in florals in different kind of color combinations. And it was actually somebody who said that, I don't really understand that sofa. That sofa is so old. It's, it's this old Swedish tent sofa with that combination of burgundy wine. It looks like a, a grandma piece. Yeah, but you know, you know, grandma, if they decided on a, on a piece, uh, on an armchair or a sofa and a fabric, they have well considered that before they bought that, and they lost. So it's, there's something beauty in that. That pattern or, or that sofa, it's kind of cool. It's, like, it's going to look good co- combined with this Martin Sikli chair or, or Philip Stark chair. That's a bit how we, how we dress and how we live. You worked in fashion for so long. Did you take anything from your fashion practice into your interiors work? If you work within fashion, you look outside of fashion. At least I do. If I work in, within interior, I look outside interior. So it just goes hand in hand. It's more of an idea or a DNA or a, your sort of imagination of, of what you kind of like, what you consider. Mm. What I do know is actually, it used to be that people within fashion are interested in interior, but people within interior aren't so interested in fashion. Now it's merging. And it's the same with art. Maybe that's also an answer of why a person with my background is accepted in this industry now. Team of Sacco now, all of them, they used to work within fashion. So our team is basically born out of fashion going into interior. Bent Thornfors, their creative director of Sacco. And for context, uh, Bent was previously a senior designer at Acne Studios in Stockholm and at YSL as senior designer and artistic consultant. He's also co-founder of bedwear firm Magniberg. So he kind of really nicely strikes that balance, I guess, between fashion and, and now design with, with Sacco as a, as a textile brand. What I found particularly enjoyable also about talking with him, and this was a little bit offline, he, he talked about hosting a dinner for Sacco on one of the evenings of of the Paris Design Week, Maison Objet. He had a lot of uh, his his fashion friends there. Typically, Sacco's producing textiles uh, that are used for for furniture, for homes, for, for, you know, making custom bedding or or custom curtains. He said he started talking to them, and this hasn't happened yet, but he started talking to them about, you know, the potential for using these textiles in fashion collections, in, in... 
bespoke one-off pieces. And and I think for me that really highlights that intimate connection that fashion and, and furniture and, and design have. It, it's in an appreciation of the importance of materiality and certainly some materials that can be applied to both. I'm, I'm not sure what you took away from that chat, if, if there was anything else, I, I guess, that you'd like to reflect on in terms of the intersection between the two disciplines, Natalie? He spoke about... Uh, working in fashion, but looking outside fashion and working in interiors, but looking outside interiors. And I think that is really true of any creative, that they're always looking at other disciplines, other areas of creativity uh, when they are working in their inner medium. And it's also true that in the past, maybe he wouldn't have been able to make the transition as easily. But I love the fact that he said now his full team, which has a fashion background, has has made the move into interiors and have been welcomed there. Yeah, it's interesting to see the merge and uh, what you mentioned about um, more creative exchange in terms of ideas, but also materials and fabrics. I've, I've also heard about young French designers who work with uh, a lot of hotels to get old uh, curtains and fabrics that they don't need uh, and they turn them into clothing because they are so much more focused on using dead stock and, and working with more sustainable fabrics, not, not creating as much waste. So even in in that uh, sense, there, there can be a lot more exchange and conversation using each other's waste and, and dead stock and, and resources. So it can only be good for for the two worlds to to merge and and to communicate more, I think. The other thing, and to jump back in the conversation again that we're just having here, is you know you know you talked about Bent looking beyond fashion for inspiration and then beyond interiors for inspiration as designers, especially in the early phases of a project when you're trying to sell something to a prospective client, you you create mood boards and it's it's very easy for those mood boards to just show uh, another designer's work. This goes across the board, whether you're a fashion designer and you you know you want to rep the silhouettes of somebody else or draw inspiration from the silhouettes of someone else or if you're an architect and you want to you know take from the forms of, of another designer it's very easy to put those on page in a presentation and say hey this is sort of the intent I'm going for but I think what you run the risk of doing there is ultimately just replicating that work and really not coming up with any original ideas so I think looking looking beyond gives you the potential to perhaps unpack something that hasn't previously been unpacked or, or explore mm-hmm. something that hasn't previously been explored exactly and I mean in fashion, replicating has been a big issue by designers that look to the past, to older designers' works, almost creating exact replicas. So getting outside the bubble uh, is always a good thing. The only thing that I think might be a little bit different between our two worlds maybe is the, the spectacle and the glamour and and the drama a little are bit. You, are you saying that a trade fair hall isn't as spectacular and glamorous as a, as a fashion show? Perhaps you suggested it as well when we met on at the end of the day. You know, I was speaking about going to the Louis Vuitton show, seeing Rosalia perform live, you know, screaming fans outside, inside the Louvre, and then you were looking at some chairs. Yeah, thousands and thousands of chairs. But it was very important to be able to to compare and contrast. Yeah, very important to compare and contrast. Uh, I think we might need to take this off air for our listeners uh, briefly. We'll be right back after this. Watch out for Monocle Films. Since launch, Monocle's eagle-eyed filmmakers and journalists have cut and framed visually vivid dispatches and documentaries from all corners of the globe. From industry reports and intrepid journeys to one-on-one interviews with voices that inspire. 
you only have one chance in life to do something like this and be, be part of it. If it works or not, who knows, but you can only try. With hundreds of films available, there's plenty of exploring to be done. Just head to monocle.com slash film now. Now, Natalie, you were at Paris Fashion Week, as we have already discussed. I know you saw plenty of shows, uh, certainly from, from some of the bigger brands, but were there any smaller names whose shows you that might have flown under the radar that you managed to attend? Yes. So one of my favourite shows to attend every season during the Men's Wear Week is Officine Générale. It's a relatively young brand that really focuses on beautiful tailoring. They always have an amazing cast. The designer usually uh, brings in his friends. So you see people of all ages walking the runway. And it's a more quiet version of, of luxury and fashion and approach to dressing, but very French and very chic. So it's always a pleasure to see. Uh, this season, they hosted a show at the Palais de Tokyo, so beautiful setting as well. And after the show, I had a chance to catch up with uh, the creative director and founder Pierre Maheo. I mean it's a mindset sometimes it's better to pay slightly more and to have a jacket that's gonna last for two or three years or four years instead of having something that is not gonna be look good after one season. And how does it influence you being in Paris and I mean we are in an incredible building yeah. here the architecture that you see around yeah. you is that a big part of your story and your identity as a designer? That's the. That's very important. Yeah, that's very important. I live in Saint-Germain-des-Prés. I have my office there. It's maybe more some uh, relation to the past, I would say, because everything has changed quite a lot. But the French nonchalance of the of the actor I love and the, the way they were dressing. There is always a connection with that nouvelle gare, nouvelle vague, uh, 1960s, early 70s things, where I think like. The French, we create that stuff. You know, the Nouvelle Vague, it happened in that city, and that's really, uh, that's really something we have. Uh, I'm super proud of it, actually, because I think it's a, it's a beautiful heritage, and we, uh, we did something that was very strong. Sometimes I read an interview and talk about uh, Steve McQueen, the Gary Cooper. And, I mean, my, my icons, my adults are French, you know. It's uh, Michel Piccoli, it's uh, Jean-Louis Trintignant, it's, it's those French guys, because that's, that's such a character. Yves Montand has such an attitude. Louis Garel today, all those, all those French actors that we still have, they have something different. But basically, Paris, yes, as number one, but every city you get, you know, it's, it's... Even this morning, I had my coffee, it was one degree, I had my coffee for 15 minutes before going to the, to the office uh, outside, because that's where you see the people, that's where you find, like, a way where they, you catch your coat and you close it, a way to make you put your scarf an attitude when you walk, a hand in the pocket, something like that. That's really what inspired me more than ever, looking at the people. And for anyone looking to dip into your world a little bit, into this attitude, and maybe buy their first pieces from uh, Office in General, what are some key pieces or wardrobe staples that you would advise them to start with, perhaps? I from think this collection or from your classics? They should, try, they should start with tailoring. They should start with tailoring. I don't sell a suit, I sell a jacket and a pants. When I started the brand, I had some, some friends who were like in advertising and stuff like that, and those guys had, were wearing the same thing, a jacket, a t-shirt, and, and, and a jeans. And I had some other friends that were wearing dress pants, denim jacket, peacoat, leather jacket with it. So I said like, why should I impose 
two pieces where this one is only wearing the jacket and that one is only wearing the pants. And we give a freedom to customer. And sometimes they come, they just buy the pants, they come back two months after, they buy the jacket. And as we have some fabric that are running season after season, sometimes they come to buy another pants and we have different fit in pants. So you can have a slimmer pants, you can have a larger pants, you have an extra large pants. And I think our pants for both women's and men's are amazing. And tailoring in general has gathered a lot more attention lately and people are rediscovering it and embracing it as yeah. more you find. Absolutely. I mean it's 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 finally back, but it's normal after what we live, you know. I mean people who were thinking that we will stay in a hoodie and sweatpants, I mean they, they were nuts, you know. Of course we are back and we want to leave and it's the same like Paris is full, as you can see, there is a lot of people, there is some party, and it's a difference because we were stuck into our room, and it's a cycle also. Fashion is a cycle. You can be very, uh, very... Uh, there was a street red vibe for, for months and for, for years. Now, if you look at the runway, it's very tailoring-oriented. Very welcome change, right? Yeah. Uh, yes, absolutely, because it's not, it's not because you wear a jacket or, or pleated pants in wool that you are classic or boring, you know, there is 25 ways to make it relevant and to make it cool. Thanks to Pierre Maheu of Officine General there. Now, Natalie, did you take any inspiration from the Parisian streets, as, as was sort of alluded to in that clip? I do. I loved how he spoke about living and working in Saint-Germain-des-Prés. I know you are more of a Marais kind of person, but it's a, it's a beautiful area. And, and walking around there, going for coffee at Café de Flore, like he, he was speaking about, and, and, and that's his approach to dressing. I loved what he spoke about, just being a little bit selfish with uh, the way you dress, not caring what other people think, and sometimes keeping it simple, like he did with this collection. He just focused on his two favourite colours, grey and navy. What I like there is that connection between place and fashion. Often it feels like, certainly to me, that that's limited to maybe architecture or even furniture to an extent, but there's certainly that link between physical place and and, and neighbourhoods and, and people and the way that they dress. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to Monocle on Design with me, Nick Manese. And me, Natalie Theodosi. Now, we're going to take a pause from Paris. And Natalie, I'm going to ask you a very important question. And just to be clear, this wasn't put in by me. This was put in by the producer because I do know the answer to this. But do you ride bikes? Do you cycle? Let's clear a few things. It might have been put by the producer unknowingly, but you're definitely enjoying this, aren't you? Maylee Evans, uh, you've got a little bit to answer for here, but uh, Natalie, it feels like you're padding. Give, me, give us the answer. So I was a clumsy child and I don't know how to cycle. So this is the answer. So the, this, the expression Not... that it's as easy as riding a bike doesn't really ring true for you? Nope. Okay, cool. We've got that out of the way. We've got that out of the way. But I do know about cycling gear, the, the best brands to buy, what, what's in fashion. So I can contribute a little bit to the conversation. That's perfect, because we, we've got a piece uh, about Mile, which is a new brand based in London, bringing performance wear for the everyday cyclist. What would you expect from, I guess, cycling performance wear? And what, what would be your demands from something like that? I do know that there's a lot of innovation going on in the sportswear market in general and it's not just the luxury brands that do tailoring. Either the sportswear brands as well are really upping the ante and creating new fabrics that are crease-free, that are more comfortable, and also that look quite good. You don't need to look scruffy just because you're going to the gym or you're riding your bike. And I think that's what Mile is doing really well. 
So let's hear now from Megan McCann, the company's co-founder, to learn a little bit more about the challenges of producing their trademark trouser. Finding the right fabric was really, really tough. We had to find a fabric that was heavy enough and so that it would hang like a trouser would to have a silhouette and not cling and definitely not make a noise when you walk. Throughout the product design phase, Jacob, the designer, and I would complain endlessly about that walking trouser effect that goes... And then being able to treat the fabric to make it technical. So when you treat a fabric to make it water repellent, you then lose how breathable the fabric is. So there was a fine balance between coating it enough so that if you were caught in a shower, you'd be okay, but also you weren't going to be trapped in sort of like a a sweat vacuum. But when it came to actually creating the cut of the trouser, it was relatively straightforward. It was a menswear trouser from the beginning, and so the shape was a sort of an athletic, tapered, slim leg cut, kind of versatile for most people. But we did have knee articulations, and we, we still do have knee articulations, to make sure that when you're sitting down at your desk, the trouser doesn't ride up because it is a sportier fabric than traditional wool. We did make sure that there were elements of the trouser that meant that it would look as close to an office trouser as possible. We wanted to bring out enough trousers to test the market appetite to see if people actually wanted these trousers. And we wanted to make sure that we weren't creating any extra fashion waste and adding to landfill. We started off very small. We started off by ordering 500 trousers, which hindered us slightly. It meant that we had to pay fees for um, not hitting minimum order quantities across the board. Unfortunately, as a startup, you do play victim to these, these minimum order quantities. Because we're very conscious that the first 500 are made of virgin polyester and are not sustainable in the slightest as a fabric, we've tried really hard to remind and invite customers to not only wear the trouser in as many situations and events and moments as possible, but to wear it really until it breaks. And within that, we work with external partners that do a repair and renew service, so we welcome customers to contact us and we'll link them up with these partners to sew up knees or to tidy up hems or to fix stitching but we also say and it's in the label of the trouser that says when when you are finished with your trouser when it has reached its end of life for you could you please send it back to us so that we can upcycle all the elements we can cut out the buttons we can reuse the zips even the elastic waistband we can reuse for future products and we can strip out the fabric we can melt it down we can recycle it We do want customers to be conscious of the fact that when they do buy from the first collection, they are buying something that should last for, you know, hopefully decades. And we have things like hidden zips where you can zip up your keys in your pockets. You don't have to worry about them falling out when you're on the bike. We've got reflective tabs that you can pull out on your back pocket, button them on so you're seen on the roads. And then we also have a reflective inner pant leg. So we did try to keep it quite subtle. We didn't want it to be too obvious. All the reflective detailing is as subtle as possible. But hopefully we've kind of tried our best to bridge the gap between a functional sporty trouser and then a more suitable, subtle office trouser. We don't want people to feel, you know, that they have to worry about how they look on the bike. Are they having to show up in a meeting or, or frazzled or sweaty? Or That's kind of, that's not really what we want to do. I think that's the, the biggest push for Mile, 
was trying to make cycling more accessible, get more people on bikes, whether you ride an e-bike or an Uber bike or a Santander bike or you have a Brompton or you have a gravel bike or even you've got five road bikes at home. The point is, is that we want to make a trouser for every type of cyclist and we want to make trousers that people feel comfortable in. Megan McCann, founder of Mile There, and thanks to Grace Charlton, who fielded that conversation. How long do you think it would take you to travel the world to hear from the most perceptive and relevant speakers on the global news agenda? To mix that up with a trip to visit the business people benchmarking best practice in media, retail and hospitality. And to make time too, to delve into a rich mix of great design stories and rich cultural discoveries. Well, you can do all of this in just 60 minutes each week by tuning in to The Curator, a whistle-stop tour of the best of the last seven days on Monocle 24. Subscribe and download the show now or listen every weekend on Monocle 24. It's back to Paris now, but we're looking further than Maison Objet and heading to Galerie Signé, which is hosting an exhibition of work by Marie and Alexandre. They're two uh, young, up-and-coming French designers. So I, I went and paid the gallery a visit to look at their work and, and have a chat to, to the two of them and, and I guess sort of unpack how their work straddles this line between art and, and design. Their current show called Iris involved making pieces with uh, craftsmen from across the country and I, I guess I really enjoyed my conversation with them, which was sort of about how they approach working with craftsmen and that relationship between the designer and, and somebody who has a, a skill set in making. Let's hear a little bit of that conversation with Marie and Alexandre at Gallery Senior. Our process is to work with uh, artisan, craftsmen. We worked with Alain Vague Ceramic, with uh, like a factory of clay in south of France. And they were like super open and super easy the idea was not to stop their work, but just to, to try some way to work uh, together. These are the sculptural pieces that we sort of have around us that were made in that factory. Yeah, exactly. We work with blowing glass uh, were in uh, Biot, and so we try more to work with uh, a lot of people because uh, yeah. our work is to work with people and try to, to find... A good <laughs> match between them, because especially with this exhibition, there is like... Christophe Sabat, who made the glass. Alain Vague Ceramic, who made the, the clay. What's the benefit of bringing all these different craftspeople together? Would they typically work together, or are you sort of having a uniting force yeah. connecting them? We think that it's really important to try to mix a lot of different materiality and way of working. And so we are trying to do that with all the material that we are working with. Yes, and especially because we are designer, we try to understand the materiality of ceramic, of rock, of wood, yeah. and trying more to uh, to multiply the, the sensation of material. So, is it also you know you go to these craftspeople and they teach you a little about yeah. the materials, and then you interpret that and turn it into your own work? Is that, is that a correct understanding? Yes, exactly. You don't want to go in and know everything. You want to be at that beginner level. Mm. What, yeah. What's the benefit of not knowing everything or not fully understanding how something's made and, and instead going in perhaps a little bit deliberately naively? If you have too much knowledge in technical, you can't have the recul necessary yes. and so you make too much time. So they have a super artisan 
we work with, with yeah. we don't want to take them work and we want to work uh, with, with them to make a, a new things for them they can use also uh, our research i guess you come in not being weighed down by the complexity of years of experience exactly and you come in with i guess a, a bit more maybe not clarity but you almost mm. bring clarity to them by showing them hey this is how we see it there's a benefit there for, for both of you they give us a lot mm. of things and we are trying mm. not to give but to be like in a discussion <coughs> and they can take a lot of things from us too uh, there are many galleries just present things already exist and here we're beginning three months ago with nothing it's a good <laughs> challenge and now we have to find some new artisan new material in school because uh, it's open for us mm. um, and multiply uh, our knowledge and our possibility of uh, object. Finally, speaking about the possibility of, of object, in, in the last three months, what have you learned about ceramics or mirrors or, or light through this experimenting and research mm. process and that's ultimately resulted in these pieces? It was the first time that we work with uh, Lavastone, so it was like a very good surprise work uh, about colors too because uh, we we tried a lot of mixture to to find like good colors and with the colors of Alain Vague too this is like maybe the first uh, things but in the second time for me it was like how to combine and how to deal with the different material how to fix them together to create a discussion between the material there is like something very physical for us in our work. We think that we find maybe something in the composition when we are making things. It's all about like bodies and how to sculpt, how to cut. Maybe that was the main point of our exhibition. The designers Marie and Alexandre. Their exhibition, Iris, is on at Gallery Signier until the 25th of February 2023. And my thanks to Natalie Theodosi for joining me in the studio. That's all for today's show. For more design stories, listen to our five-minute midweek bonus show, Monocle on Design Extra, which airs on Thursdays. And if you enjoy print, then do pick up a copy of Monocle magazine as well. It's on all good newsstands now. Today's episode was produced and edited by May Lee Evans. I'm Nick Manise, and you can reach me on nm at monocle.com. Natalie, where can people reach you? mt at monocle.com. Excellent. Thank you very much for listening. Have a good day.